Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast, presented by FlickeringMyth.com. I'm your host, Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today's guest is Jonathan Kasdan. Jonathan is a film and television screenwriter, director, producer, and actor. His film work includes writing and directing in the land of women and the first time, as well as writing and co-producing solo A Star Wars Story. For TV, Jonathan was a writer for Freaks and Geeks and Dawson's Creek. His newest project, the TV series Willow, for which he developed as an executive producer and writer, is streaming now on Disney+. Jonathan also worked on a previous draft of the upcoming Indiana Jones 5 film, which is scheduled for release on June 30th, 2023. I'd like to preface this one as well, that I'm still getting my voice back, so apologies for that. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Really excited to talk about writing today. My first question, we held back talking about where you're from and where you live in the bio, because I always like to ask as my first question, where are you in the world and how did you land there? I grew up in Los Angeles. I'm the first of my family to do so. My dad went to the University of Michigan where he met my mother and worked in advertising, but dreamed of being a screenwriter and ultimately a film director. And uh, shortly after um, my brother was born, they took the leap to much to his in-laws' disapproval and moved out to LA and he got a job working in an advertising agency here and uh, would write screenplays during his lunch breaks and finally sold uh, a script, a spec for a movie called The Bodyguard that wasn't made for another 15 years with uh, Kevin Costner and, and Whitney Houston. But it was enough to sort of give him a little bit of a foothold in the industry and a guess enough to give them confidence to uh, have a second child. And I was born here and, and grew up in the San Fernando Valley and, and then in the West Side. And then, yeah, I guess I, I, went, I, I, I went to high school um, in Santa Monica and, and, and many of us sort of had come out of the film business and, and there was definitely a desire to do that for me. And, and NYU and, and Tisch was an obvious place to pursue that. And so I went to NYU for a year and studied film, but was impatient to have a career and had been writing scripts on spec since high school and sort of got a little traction out of those. And then um, at the end of my freshman year, was given the extraordinary opportunity to write one episode of Freaks and Geeks, but to be present for the process, which is really where my my education in the industry kind of began. And then after doing that, I, I, I shifted over to Dawson's Creek, where I worked for a couple of years, sort of teen soaps, and then, uh, and then wrote a movie and, and made that and, and, and so on, uh, until the mid-2000s sort of brought me into involvement with Lucasfilm and, 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 and Solo and, and, and then subsequently Willow. You were an actor as well, right? Did being an actor affect how you approach writing? You know, I love, I love acting. I'd be hard pressed to say that I'm actually an actor. I've found myself fortunate enough to get to, to do it in a couple of cases. When I was a kid, my, 
my father, who, who subsequently became a, a film director, would put my brother and I into his movies in little bit parts, almost as a photo album of that moment in our lives. And I think I took to it a little more than my brother did. And then in subsequent years, have had opportunities to do tiny little bits of, of fun acting for friends and, and such. And, uh, and it's always been greatly rewarding. But I've had enough work with actors and, and enough time as a director myself to sort of say that it would be a stretch to say that I am an actor as it's a really hard job. You mentioned your father. Before we dive into kind of your process, I think it's worth mentioning, obviously, your father, legendary writer. I'm sure you get this question a lot, but what is it like having that kind of the legacy of the Kasdan name and working in the industry? You know, we're a close-knit family, and, and I've, I had a really fun and, and joyful and fairly healthy childhood. But uh, I think that the legacy part of it is a mixed bag, because on one hand, you're, you're given an access to not just to people in the industry and to the kind of relationships you're able to make that are much more difficult for other people, but also to a wealth of experience that my father has had, that my brother has had, that make it you know, you really benefit from watching someone go through the successes and, and much more significantly the, the trials of working in this industry for 40 or 50 years, you know, and that's, that's an unbelievable advantage to come into it with. What's a little more challenging is that, you know, your work is always sort of prefaced with your legacy a little bit and, and where you come from and, and how you came into the role you're in. And that's often a hard thing to overcome. And I, I can tell you that the reason I know it is because I'm as critical of second generation filmmakers as anyone on earth. And I have an instinct to roll my eye when I hear a familiar last name at the end of somebody's credit. So I'm I relate to it and I know that that people would I don't begrudge anyone who comes at me with the same skepticism that I come at at all second generation filmmakers and actors for that matter. You have to prove your mettle, I think, in a way that's that's perhaps a little more daunting. I would love to dive into process. We usually on this podcast kind of yeah. pick a project, a most recent project. I think Willow would be a great opportunity to sure. just talk about. Let's start with the inception of an idea. I mean, the movie really came in me at a, at a formative moment in my life when I was eight years old. And, and ironically, given that we're doing this as a television series, it was really one of the formative theater-going experiences for me. It spoke to the sort of scale and, and emotional power of being in a movie theater and seeing something loud and big and beautiful and scary and funny and sexy and all those things. It was meaningful to me in terms of what movies could do, you know, and, and for that reason, I think stuck with me profoundly through, through the ages. And then, you know, when, when Disney, uh, acquired Lucasfilm in, in around 2012, there were mumblings that they were interested in having my father come back and be a bit of connective tissue between the original trilogy and the, the new movies they were making. And my dad had always been 
incredibly ambivalent about returning to Star Wars. He felt like, and I get it, he felt like he he pitched a perfect game and didn't want to mess with that legacy too much. And I think was always a little nervous about it. But my brother and I, and even my mother were pretty passionate that he get involved. We thought this was an opportunity to work on something that the whole world was going to see and that he could bring to it a a humanity and a, and a sophistication that was worthwhile to have in something that the whole world was going to see. So we made a rather strong case to him and, and sort of begged him to, to work on those movies. And he sort of reluctantly did and then reluctantly took on co-writing episode seven with JJ at our behest as well. But when he came to the end of writing episode seven, he wanted someone to help him write Solo, which was a project that he had initially sort of conceived with George and they had talked about in their very first meeting about whether he might come back. And he felt, I think, to some extent that I was obligated to help him, given that I pressured him into all of this stuff anyway. And I sort of Because, you know, working with with him had not been something that I'd ever particularly thought was going to happen. I was a little ambivalent about it. And and like what we were talking about earlier, you know, with with legacy, there's complications. But I did feel a certain responsibility for having him giving the last couple of years of his life to Lucasfilm and thought very, very clearly that we would we would write a draft of Solo it would take four months and then I'd never hear about it again. And that wasn't at all what happened, of course. And instead, Solo ended up being a, a two-year process and a movie that got made in, in terms of tentpole movies incredibly fast. You know, it was sort of a, the fates conspired so that that thing got a momentum that it didn't expect to have, you know? And while it was happening and while we were working on it, I, I was aware that Lucasfilm was attempting to sort of, I was looking at the future of Lucasfilm and, and I think Kathy and, and the company were too in terms of, well, where do we go? If we have this massive success with Star Wars that everyone was sort of hoping for, and if Indiana Jones is sort of progressing along its own what was at the time very slow timeline because it was always dependent on when Stephen and and George deigned to make another one. Um, was there anything else around? And 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 because I'd had this profound experience with Willow, this was the thing that I said. You know, I sort of raised my hand and said, like, well, if there's any way to to bring this one back, I'd love to. And then just by sort of force of of events. And part of the reason I'll add that that I felt that way was because the movie, you know, has at its center this MacGuffin, which is this baby that's all powerful. (laughs) And to me, that almost more than than the indie movies and Star Wars lent itself to a continuation because you at least I sort of was entranced by that baby and thought, like, well, what's going to happen to her when she grows up and becomes a sorceress, you know? So when I sort of offered up to to them that this was something I was interested in, it was because I I felt there was an obvious story baked into another Willow movie or whatever. And then just by sheer coincidence, events sort of conspired that I was we were able to make the movie. I was present for a huge amount of it. 
I had finagled Warwick Davis back into the script using various nefarious means just so I could meet him. Honestly, I'd been a fan my whole life and and we met and 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 sort of short of things to talk about with him, I, I suggested that I was interested in this and it was clear instantly, which I sort of already knew, that he too had really wanted to play that character again. And we were sort of aligned in that. And then the the real moment when this went from being a, a dumb dream that you talk about in coffee shops to something that could actually happen was that when Ron Howard came in on Willow to help us finish the movie, we too connected instantly on Willow. And, and it turns out that he's always nursed a secret ambition to continue that story. And, and, and when he shared that with me, and then we ended up spending this enormous amount of time together, it was like the pieces were falling into place for us to develop this. And then the final sort of step of it was that the Disney Plus sort of was born right in the moment when we were making Solo together. And John Favreau sort of very boldly took Star Wars into live action on television. And it really created a very unusual opening as Game of Thrones was ending, as Lord of the Rings was still a few years off, and an appetite for fantasy and a place to do it where, where it's just like the, the weather was perfect and, and we got the kite into the air, you know? So that's sort of how it was born. You mentioned Solo and, and now you're caught us up to speed to where you're creating this show. Can you walk us through how writing a film differs from writing a TV show? Obviously, there's a writer's room. And for you as the person developing this show, what was your role in that room? Tell us kind of how that early initial ideation and plotting out arcs and all that whole process went working in a room with other writers? You know, I had sort of had a very clear sense of what I wanted to do. And I had written the pilot sort of before there was any kind of room. And I'd written the pilot much the way I've written everything in my life, which is like, with the very clear assumption that it's never going to get made. And I, I sort of and it's, it's a it's a gift in a way to be as pessimistic as I am, because it liberates you to not think about anything but what the version of this is that you would want to see. And that's always sort of been my driving force. And so when it became clear that there was an opportunity to, to write a pilot for Willow, I thought only that I tricked them into paying me to write one 45-page script, and I would make that as much what I wanted it to be as I could. And when they responded to it and, and were excited about pursuing it, they also sort of requested a, a Bible of sorts that sort of laid out where the season was going to go. And, and the big sort of tent poles of what that would look like and, and where we'd be at the beginning and then where we'd be in the middle and then where we'd end up were laid out alone on, in a room by me. And then the writers came in and we sort of tore it up a little bit. And, and I think in a good way, we sort of, we rebroke the story and, and made it, you know, more interesting and more complex and really weighted it across the six characters as equally as we possibly could. So that, you know, it, it was a, it was a fun and challenging thing to sort of, you know, I had found, frankly, working, working with my father was hard in its own ways too, because we're father and son and we argue and we, you know, we love each other deeply, but 
we disagree about certain things and parts of his taste drive me crazy and I'm certain parts of my taste drive him crazy. So that was a challenge and I'd always sort of written alone. So now it was sort of bringing six or seven people into the process with me was certainly an adjustment and one I had never quite done. Even working in television, you you feel much more on a show like Dawson's Creek or, or, or Freaks and Geeks, like a hired hand, almost like you're taking a class and you, you're coming in and you're going to do your assignment. And you're going to try to put a little of your, of your uniqueness into it, but it's not your thing, you know, and that's, that can be a lot of fun. But running a room and trying to integrate six disparate voices into what you're trying to do is really hard. And I think it takes a little while to get good at that. Even when you've got a team, as I did, where they were all game and, and helpful and, and additive, I just struggled to, to find that balance throughout the, the months we were in the room. And also, the added challenge that comes with a thing like this is, is you're sort of trying to figure out the scale of the show that you can achieve, you know? And that's unclear and very mysterious working in the, the Lucasfilm world because you sort of go in assuming you can do anything and very quickly realize that a lot of what you imagine simply isn't possible, you know? So, so that's a big challenge. And then incorporating these new voices are a new challenge. And, and the writing period, which lasted about a year, or at least the initial writing period, was full of these challenges and full of a an increasing skepticism that we were ever going to, you know, get the show off the ground. And then we did, and, and the production ramped up pretty quickly. Once you get going, it all happens in a rush. And then I actually moved to Wales and spent a year working on the scripts there, which was the sort of second phase of the writing. And, and that was sort of where I got to bedrock on everything and ended up being as solitary as the beginning had been. So it's sort of a weird thing of like, you're alone, you're with people, you're alone again. <laughs> we have a lot of writers on this podcast. Do you like what writers write? Do you like free stuff? Well, Audible is offering a free audiobook download for listeners of the Writer Experience Podcast with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I recently downloaded James Joyce's Ulysses for my commutes into the city, while our producer Harry, who may or may not exist, has been enjoying J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash writer experience for your free audiobook. What's your favorite film of all time? It might be a sophisticated classic, a childhood favourite, or an enjoyable pile of trash you just can't help but watch over and over again. The Pick of the Flicks podcast, hosted by me, Tom Beasley, is all about celebrating people's favourite movies in whatever form they take. Each week, I interview a different guest about their chosen favourite, whether I agree with their choice or think they're as mad as one of Tom Hardy's accents. So tune in to Pick of the Flicks every week on the Flickering Myth Podcast Network and subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Maybe your favourite film will be next. Hi, I'm George. And I'm Sam. And we're from the That's a Classic podcast on the Flickr and Myth Network. We both bring three films each from a certain genre, and we battle it out to find out which is the ultimate classic. So you can listen to us on Flickr and Myth, iTunes or Spotify. Check out what classic we choose every week. We talked earlier about your legacy as a Kasdan. 
similarly for Willow, did you feel that there was a similar, I don't want to say pressure, but people are obviously going to always compare it to the original. So yeah. how did you make that line deciding how to stay true to the original, but also bring it new life? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. And it's actually an interesting question you're asking me right at this moment, because one thing is that like, you know, one of the appeals of Willow for for me and as a writer and as an executive producer creator type was that it wasn't as freighted as Star Wars was with emotion and divisiveness and people having these very strong takes on it. Now, at least I didn't think it was, you know, and I thought I had a little bit of leverage with it to be a little looser and try some stuff. And I think that, you know, the other big challenge for me, at least, of, of Raiders and New Hope is that they're nearly perfect movies. Like, you can't really do better than them. And I think George and Ron, if they were here with us, would agree that Willow is not a perfect movie. And it's tonally sort of has great, great stuff in it and stuff that they both wish they had another shot at, you know? So it wasn't as daunting as coming off of Solo, where you're trying to continue the legacy of perhaps the most beloved character in cinema history. And which we, at the time when we were starting this, I, uh, you know, and still do feel like we had some success with that. You know, it wasn't a pure success, but there's certainly people who, who loved that movie and felt like we had honored the Solo legacy in the way I hoped to honor Willow. You know, so I, I had a little confidence that that was achievable. And I also thought we were so far off the radar that no one would ever care. And what's funny is that as the show has been released, you realize that there's no such thing as far enough off the radar that, that no one cares. And everyone can be sort of offended by anything that isn't exactly what they expected it to be, you know, and, uh, and I sort of have taken the attitude in my more Zen moments that a big part of the the fun of these shows now is that you get to hate it if it isn't exactly what you want it to be. And you get to talk to your friends about how much they you they hate it too. So I feel like I'm providing that service for the audience that doesn't like it and for the audience that's into it, I'm trying to entertain them. I would love to talk about just because you've worked on for both Star Wars and Willow, the hero's journey. Obviously Star yes. Wars going for that. This definitely feels like it's got a hero's journey. Absolutely. Do it for sure. Did you have that in your mind as you wrote it? Totally. And you know, I mean, the power of myth series that Bill Moyer did with Joseph Campbell that was shot at the Lucas, you know, at the Lucas Ranch in the 80s really resonated with me when I was a kid. I sort of knew that it was critical to how they'd developed this thing. And I find myself constantly revisiting it. It's on iTunes and you can go to it and you know, I retain only bits and pieces as I go through it. I would never claim to be an expert on the hero's journey, but I'm always sort of inspired and moved by it and feel like the archetypes and the and the sort of movements of story that it deals with are so deeply ingrained in us as, you know, adults by the time we've reached adulthood that a lot of it is intuitive. You know, a lot of the stuff that we sort of think of as being, you know, the classical mythological hero's journey is intuitive to anyone who's watched too many movies, you know? But what's great about the Joseph Campbell series is that it helps you sort of 
dissect those tropes and movements and see why they are the way they are. And hopefully, you know, what you hope to do in a series like Willow is subvert them when subverting them helps you get to the emotional truth that you want. For the rest of the Willow season and the future, what are you most excited about from an audience perspective? This season has a funny effect where I, I'm I'm sort of increasingly excited about them as they go, because I feel like what we were able to do and, and the ways we were able to scale up and the way the actors sort of got comfortable in their roles only increased with each subsequent episode. So like, I'm most excited about seven and eight because I feel like they are a satisfying conclusion to a great many things we're setting up in these first six, you know? But if you ask me today, I'd tell you that the thing I'm most excited about is the stories that I think are still out there to be told with this particular cast of characters. And more importantly, in this vast world that George and Ron sort of beautifully created in 88, you know? Does that mean that there could be spinoffs? And also, is there confirmation on whether there will be a season two? Are there hopes? There is no confirmation. And I know nothing about any of it, except that all I can tell you is that these shows take so long to produce and to, to develop from a design and sort of financial perspective that they do feel it's worth having me and, and a few cohorts working on writing that season so that it's ready for them should that be something they want to do. But what's never been guaranteed is that there will be more stories. I think I've tried to create a show that as best as it can sort of begs for more. (laughs) So that's a problem I've created for them. And I hope it's one they can't solve without making more episodes of the show. I know before we started recording, we talked about your early films as both a writer and a director and as something that's so different than working for an established huge IP. For you personally, what are your aspirations for working on maybe an indie film, writing and directing again? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting. It's like I've spent now, I will have, I'm coming up on spending a decade working for Kathy and for Lucasfilm. And it's been one of the most incredible experiences of my life. You know, you always crave other kinds of experiences and, and working in other worlds and other genres. And certainly for me, there's a, a lure toward darker stuff that isn't possible in, in the world of Disney. But, you know, I kind of feel like I've spent a lot of my career sort of fretting over what the next thing will be. And usually it sort of solves itself. You know, the circumstances turn out the way they're supposed to a little bit in the end. And and if you continue to be sort of forward leaning and and trying to do things and open to things, I've been very fortunate that that has led me to the next thing pretty naturally. In terms of what you love about writing. Yes. As far as, you know, your work on the solo film versus the Willow writer's room, what are the parts of the actual writing process that excite you the most in the moment? You're like, this is my favorite part. For the most part, that's not how I think of it. And I think of it as very hard work and the part of it that's sort of most excruciating. You know, when I've enjoyed writing the most has been when I've not been working under a deadline and when I'm sort of allowed to to sort of meander through a story at the pace that I want to work on it. When you're doing a show like this, you're sort of always working under a deadline and it's 
incredibly stressful and you're constantly feeling like you're not delivering or you're not doing the necessary process to get to the really good thing and you're panicking, you know, and you're in terror that you're going to disappoint someone or or underwhelm someone in any way. So I find it really hard. I mean, what I love about doing this work is the is the actual filmmaking. And throughout the whole process, that is the the joyful part is when you get to sort of take something you've written and turn it into a concept painting, or you get to cast a role that you've been seeing only in your head for a long time, or you get to stand on a set that's suddenly real, or you get to finally, you know, go in and do the visual effects that make it come to life in a way that no one quite saw except you until that final moment. So I love the filmmaking. I find the writing very challenging, but certainly there are moments in the writing. And I am a a sort of solitary guy too, which is why it's odd that all the parts of it that I love are the collaborative parts. But there are moments in the writing where you do, and they're, they're rarer than you wish, where you do feel like you're in some sort of groove or rhythm and that what's coming out of you is good. And those are, are very fulfilling moments as a human being. You know, it's like, I do think it's probably like, like athletes who, who feel the groove or the zone or whatever. Those moments are the ones you're always hunting. And, you know, a lot of good work happens on the way to them and good work happens during them. And sometimes terrible work happens during them and you're just wrong, you know? So it's a, it's a fraught process for me always. And I would never be able to isolate any stage of it that's particularly joyful because that inspiration happens in all the stages of it and in none of them, you know? Jonathan, love to hop into a series of rapid fire bonus questions. The first one, how do you combat writer's block? Uh, badly. I mean, I don't have a good solution to that. It, you know, I, I have been blocked for years at a time, I think. And I, I blocked is such an odd word. It's a little like depression. I'm not sure it's a real condition so much as that I am. What I do know is that I can enter into periods where I'm just not moving forward. And that is what's really hard. And whether it's, you know, when I, I can be stuck on a scene in a, a script I'm writing and I, that moment should be used working on something else. And I never do. Instead, I just lament how much time I've already given to this thing and how completely unsolvable it is. But the answer always, of course, is to step back for a second, to take a shower, to go to bed and return to it with fresh eyes. And even if you don't necessarily know how to go forward, you do tend to discover that things that you've written that you thought were awful had some value. And you're able to sort of mine that little bit of value out of it. There's a great, there's a great episode in the Coen Brothers, you know, Buster Scruggs movie that I just love about a panhandler who's panning for gold out in the out in a valley in Colorado by himself. And what's great about it is that it gives you this very detailed, almost silent film experience of what panning for gold is like and the sort of daily agony of it. And I've always thought it was like a perfect metaphor for writing, you know, and like occasionally you'll find a hunk 
but mostly it's just tiny little bits and they accumulate, you know. Love that. The next question, are there certain things that you mentioned taking a shower, stepping away from it, but are there any specific thoughts that come to mind that can sometimes help you? Well, you know, I mean, I think that it's a funny question too, because I, I live so totally in stories and I'm so in love with them on such a fundamental level. There's so much how I express myself, how I live my life, that the idea of not investing and diving into stories on a daily basis doesn't really occur to me in a meaningful way. But the idea of not being a professional screenwriter occurs to me every single day. Uh, yeah, because it's just a really hard, it's a hard life and it's, you're constantly subjecting your most intimate stuff to a brutally sort of unforgiving world that will, that will only acknowledge the stuff they really like. <laughs> the next question, if you could suggest a question that we yeah. ask one of our next guests, I actually Ooh. think we've been writing for Marvel coming up next. What would you say? What's something you'd want to learn from another writer? This is someone who works at Marvel. It's Peter Cameron. I mean, I'm fascinated by the Marvel process. You know, I think they have a real, like Pixar, have a real mechanism for for story that is not how Lucasfilm works exactly. We're we're left much more to our devices and to our sort of how we might come at the thing. And and what Kathy asks as a producer is sort of that people bring a real individuality and, and their own voice to it. But I think that with Marvel, which I think of as, as so consistently exciting and, and original, they have a mechanism. They have a way of generating story. There's, I imagine, I fantasize, is there a moment when you're told what's going to happen in Avengers 5, you know, and how your story would fit into that. And I'm sure I'm sort of over fantasizing it but but I am interested to know like even without any specifics like how collaborative is it across the Marvel universe because that seems like a lot of fun and I'm a great admirer of Kevin and sort of what he's been able to build out in this industry which is singular truthfully like there's there's nothing like Marvel and I want to know how it works I have no idea and it certainly it works a totally different way at Lucasfilm. And I'm always interested in how people who make big, bold commercial movies also sort of make it personal and, and, and write from their heart because it's impossible when you do these things to not get really invested. And how, how do you sort of like, I'm interested in the gunslinger aspects of this, you know? How do you come in and do the job and then walk away without being scathed or destroyed. <laughs> we usually flip that question back on you. How do you manage to be? I, I, well, the jury's still out on me. I mean, I, I don't know. It's, a, it's always a brutalizing process doing this work. And, and it's sort of you swing between moments of insane confidence where you feel like you can do anything to moments of sort of deep, wells of doubt and insecurity about it, you know? And I can I can make that swing on Twitter anytime I go on Twitter. Um, but I, I don't have a mechanism for it. I have found as I've gotten older that if you tie your happiness to your success in this work, you're headed for disaster. <laughs> so 
you search for other ways to find fulfillment and other sources of joy and pleasure other than your job. Because as a writer, that's always going to break your heart. Three questions left, and then we're a wrap here. The next one, you mentioned iconic directors, George Lucas, Ron Howard. Besides Willow, are there any other films or stories that you'd ever want to revisit or be a part of? Yeah, I mean, I've gotten that question a lot. And there's there's so many things that if presented to me in the right way, I, I could get very excited about. But it's all about what someone wants to do with them. You know, it's like there's a version of the G.I. Joe action figures I grew up on that would be very exciting to me. But it's probably not the same version that Paramount wants to make. You know, I think there's, you know, Superman was always one that I loved. I thought it was such a fundamentally great property because it was about a guy who was competing for himself for a girl, competing with himself for a girl. I thought that was funny and, and sort of interesting. And, you know, there's a lot of things and, and it's all about how someone wants to come at it. If you could take yes. any writer living or dead to any fast food restaurant, what would you take and why? Oh, I mean, I would take Rod Serling to Fat Burger and just sit there with him and ask him for his impressions of the world now versus then. And the very yeah. last question, if you could choose one learning or insight from your entire career, to pass along to the writers who are listening, what's the one piece of advice from everything you've ever experienced? What would you say? I would say that, you know, I don't know if it was my dad or my brother, but one of them told me very early on, and it stuck with me forever, everything you write could be 10% shorter. And it's true. So before you take your script out into the world, your book, your anything, remember that fact and do that work, and you will make a better thing for it. It's a guarantee. And I've lived by it and, and I know it's true. I love that. And thank you for sharing that. Jonathan, it's been a pleasure. Willow, it's been a total pleasure. It's been a pleasure as well. Willow is out now on Disney+. Plus. Please, if you're listening, check it out. Jonathan, before you leave, is there any place or anything you want to plug or anywhere someone can go there to find isn't. you? I mean, uh, you know, there's never enough hours of the day I could have talked to you for, for three more of them easily. But uh, the job calls, so I'm going back to it. Jonathan, good luck. Thank you so much. We'll talk again. Cheers. Yeah. Thank you. And thanks to our listeners. We hope to see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to The Writer Experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at Writer EXP. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod.